Heavenly Father, help us to go back in time in our spirit and our mind to that very first Christmas. Um, help us to imagine what it was like for a young teenage girl to be pledged to be married to a carpenter and a new husband and making a journey all the way, a long distance for them, all the way down to Bethlehem. And uh, how you had great plans for them, but they still had to go through all of the aspects of the journey. God, help us to uh, empathize with that. Help us to see that there was no distance too great that you weren't willing to go for us in order to reach us, in order to communicate your love for us. So, Father, I pray for the unction of your Holy Spirit as I speak today. We pray for the unction of your Holy Spirit as we listen and as we try to grasp and understand and then put into practice uh, what you want us to know. Lord, speak through your word and through your servant. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You know, I love Christmas songs, all kinds of Christmas songs. One of my favorites, uh, I told you one time, was the day after Thanksgiving in college when I was working at Thompson's Furniture in Fullerton and over the loudspeaker comes Holly Jolly Christmas by Burl Ives and how that really lifted me up all day. But when I, what I used to see on TV growing up was my favorite was, it was always Andy Williams when he had his little Christmas special sometime early in December. And uh, he'd come out with saying, it's the most wonderful time of the year, right? And, and he had a great voice. And um, one of the lyrics of that song always touches me because it says, there'll be scary ghost stories and tales of the glories of Christmases long, long ago. You know, I don't know if you've ever gone on a road trip for Christmas trying to get to somebody's house. We, we know from American Travel uh, data that has been gathered. They travel a lot more during Thanksgiving than Christmas. Maybe the weather's a little better, but there's still a lot of people that go on the road at Christmas time trying to reach uh, loved ones' homes that they're, that they're traveling to. In fact, our kids are going to be on the road on Christmas Eve, traveling up from Southern California to spend Christmas Day with us, and we're excited about that. So, but there'll be tales of the glories of Christmases long, long ago, because uh, what we're going to see today is we're going to see a journey that Joseph and Mary and the baby Messiah took all the way from Nazareth to the little town of Bethlehem. They were called to go on a road trip by none other than the emperor of the Roman Empire himself, Caesar Augustus. It says in uh, Luke's, chap Luke's gospel, and we're in Luke chapter 2, if you want to look up in your own Bibles to follow along, or you can follow along with the scriptures that are on the screen this morning. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria, and everyone went to their own town to register. You know, Caesar Augustus was emperor for a long time. He was probably the longest reigning emperor ever. He reigned from somewhere in the early 30s before Christ all the way to the year 14 after Christ was born. And he was known as Octavian. He reigned for about 45 years. He died in that day at the ripe old age of 77. Uh, when Caesar Augustus was near death, he made a list of his accomplishments you know, for example, inventing the Caesar salad. I mean, that's pretty, that's pretty amazing. I, get, I order it all the time. 
still to this day. <laughs> Uh, but one, of the, uh, one thing he was proud of achieving was he said that he turned the city of Rome from a city of bricks into a city of marble. Think about that. Among the other things he listed before he died as one of his major accomplishments was he uh, successfully pulled off three different censuses for the whole empire. And yes, I did look up that word. I thought it was going to be sensei, but it was the word censuses is the plural. He, uh, he was proud of taking a census for the whole empire, and he did it three different times. We believe that this particular census that Caesar called that took Joseph and Mary to Bethlehem was the second of the three. And most likely, uh, this census, you know, you think, oh, everyone has to go, quote, register in their own hometown. Why would Caesar be proud of that? Well, first of all, it gave a population estimate of the Roman Empire. And by the way, it was around 4 million people in the Roman Empire that the census gathered. And it grew a little bit each time they took the census. Uh, but the, other, the main reason that Caesar did the census was to collect money. It was for taxes. It was to get more money from people, and it was a reminder, you know, Joseph had to go to his own hometown, which happened to be Bethlehem, to register for the taxes. It was just a reminder that Israel was under Roman occupation, and it wasn't an option. It wasn't a, it wasn't a suggestion. It was a command by the Roman emperor. Every person, every male had to go to his own hometown and register and pay this tax for the census. So here's Joseph and Mary. So in verse 4, it says, So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and the line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. Or as the King James Version says, Mary was great with child. I think they softened it up in the later translations. According to the words of the prophets in the Jewish scriptures, Messiah had to be a direct descendant of King David. He also had to be born in the town of Bethlehem. And so you wonder about God and his sovereignty and moving heaven and earth to accomplish his prophetic utterances, the predictions that his spokesman had made for God hundreds of years before Jesus was ever born. How was God going to arrange all this? You know, in my mind's eye, I even picture Joseph. Uh, you know, when the, the Roman courier comes into the town of Nazareth, and I don't know if they did it. You know, a lot of the movies, they do it these days. They go, doo, 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 doo. And then everybody gathers and says, out a royal decree from the Roman emperor, Caesar Augustus. And everybody's supposed to, ooh, you know, like, what's Caesar going to say? And he says, well, everybody has to go to their own hometown to register for the census, and you need to do it immediately. In fact, they probably had a certain number of days to complete this command. Otherwise, they were going to be in big trouble with Caesar, and you did not want to do that to the Roman occupiers. I just wonder when Joseph heard those news, if he had wondered to himself, I wonder, uh, I wonder how I'm going to get to Bethlehem. I wonder if, if God is just going to say, Joseph, in a dream, just get up and go, or what the circumstances are going to be, or if this was the reason and Joseph just said, ah, so this is how, this is how you're working out your will, God. And so Joseph uh, had to make a journey. Uh, he had relatives in the Bethlehem area 
since according to the census, they had to go back to their own town of birth for the Roman census. One of my questions has always been, um, if Joseph had to go back to his own hometown and his own hometown was Bethlehem, how did Joseph end up in Nazareth? right? So you wonder, okay, so over the years and over the, the different generations, how Joseph's uh, parents or his grandparents at one point had just decided, you know what, the living, the, the, the economy, things are just better up in Galilee. Galilee was known to be more of a prosperous region than was Judea. And so the town just, they just, just decided to migrate as do, as have many Americans and, and many other people over the years. So he ended up in Nazareth, but now he's got to make this journey down to Bethlehem. And I'm showing you a little map. Uh, you can see the red line is the most likely journey that Joseph and Mary were able to take starting uh, in the, uh, the western uh, Galilee area, that small town in Nazareth, going down through the Jezreel Valley and making their way all the way to Bethlehem. Of course, it says in the King James ver Version that Mary... Uh, was heavy with child. It's most likely that Joseph was walking and Mary was uh, riding on the back of a donkey. Uh, either way, walking or on a donkey, uh, being very pregnant, Mary, it was not going to be a comfortable journey. Therefore, I found a Beth Moore tweet this last week, and I want to share this with you, what she says about this story. She says, every woman who's ever been eight and a half months along in her pregnancy and has heard the Christmas story, she wishes she could write her own Bible commentary, proposing what it would have been like for a woman who couldn't see her own feet to make that trip from Nazareth to Bethlehem and then be refused a hotel room when she arrived. I thought that was good. Joseph and Mary, uh, the journey to Bethlehem was about 90 to 100 miles long. It probably took 8 to 10 days from start to finish to get there. They passed down through the Jezreel Valley and then went south along the eastern part of the Jordan River Valley all the way south to Jericho. And on the trail, of course, they had to watch out for bandits and robbers. I wonder if one of Joseph's questions were, how am I going to protect Mary and the baby Messiah along this journey? From Jericho, they went west through the Judean wilderness. They had to climb up this uh, long journey from Jericho uh, to Jerusalem. It was called the Red and Bloody Way because it was known to be a place for bandits and robbers. They had to climb over 3,000 feet to reach the Mount of Olives, then to pass through Jerusalem, and then finally make their five-mile journey from Jerusalem down to the small village of Bethlehem. And it says in verse 6, while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. So what was Bethlehem known for? Bethlehem by this time was mostly a place known for raising sheep. You could imagine with all the sacrifices in the temple in Jerusalem, sheep and lamb, every day, and then especially for the Passover sacrifice coming in the spring, there would be many lambs being born uh, at this time or in the late fall especially. Um, they were used for sacrifices in the temple. Luke states the simple fact that when Mary's time came, the only available space for that family, uh, there, was no, there was no guest room available for them. Obviously, they didn't have hotels at the time. They gave them a stable area or maybe even a place in a cave in the back part of probably someone's residence. 
And I wanted to show you a photo uh, that comes from the movie The Nativity, probably one of my favorite Christmas movies from 2006, where it shows Joseph and Mary and the baby Jesus being born. And it says in verse 7, she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger, which is a feeding trough for animals, because there was no guest room available to them. You know, such a simple story, you know, probably happened all the time in the first century. A peasant couple is having a child and the child has, has their birth and it, it takes place in poverty and everybody just says, wow, what's the big deal? It happens all the time. What is so remarkable about this story is that the King of Kings, God the Son, decides to leave heaven to come to earth. And instead of coming to earth in a palace or in the capital city of Rome or in a place of great fanfare, a place of great expectation where there would be crowds of people outside, you know, because of the announcement of Messiah's birth, waiting uh, to worship him. He's born in obscurity. He's born in this, quote, little town of Bethlehem. He's born in poverty. Uh, the contrast here of the manner of Jesus' birth uh, versus the fact that he's the king of kings. I mean, look what Luke says in verse 11. A savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. And yet he's, he's born in this obscure little village, unknown to almost everybody. You'll find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. What a contrast between Jesus' identity, who he is, Christ the Lord, and the manner of his birth. As the, as the Magi, when they came to visit in that movie Nativity, as they rounded the corner and they came in and they saw the cave area where Jesus was born, it probably surprised them a great deal. And one of the Magi, the wise men that we uh, call them in the movie The Nativity, he just uttered uh, spontaneously, he says, here is the greatest of kings born in the most humble of circumstances. And so Joseph gave him the name Jesus. Jesus, of course, is a name that was common to a lot of people as Yeshua. It's where the Old Testament name Joshua comes from. It means God or Yahweh is salvation. Of course, Joseph was being obedient to what the angel told him in the dream, which, which was uh, the angel said, Mary, she will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. It is also a fulfillment of another prophecy in Isaiah. I haven't even shared this one with you, but I'll give you this as a bonus because two weeks ago, if you want to go back to the message, you can see all these different uh, Old Testament prophets that were predicting the coming of Messiah and what that would be like. But look what it says here. A shoot in Isaiah chapter 11. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. Jesse uh, being another reference to David's father. Uh, and of course, his grandfather was Obed and, and his great-grandfather was Boaz and his great-grandmother was Ruth uh, for David uh, along that messianic line. A, a shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. And of course, you're, you're thinking, okay, someone's going to be born. He's going to be a descendant of David. I get that. But now there's something that's unique about this individual to be born. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him. The spirit of wisdom and understanding. The spirit of counsel and might. The spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. 
and he will delight in the fear of the Lord. God was announcing hundreds of years earlier that he was bringing new life and new hope through this remnant, through this stump. If you think about you know, going over a field and seeing all these trees cut down, but maybe they left the stumps, you'd say, what's even left of this forest? There's nothing left here but this little stump. What could God do with this little stump, this little remnant of God's people? after he'd punished them and sent them into exile and then finally brought them back after 70 years to their, back to their homeland where they rebuilt the temple and they repopulated the land. And God was saying, look, I'm bringing you new life and new hope. And out of you, out of this people, out of this remnant is going to come the Savior and the Spirit of the Lord is going to rest on him. 2,000 years ago in Bethlehem, at first glance, it looks like a simple birth of a baby boy born to a poor peasant couple. But in reality, so much more was happening. It was God in all his majesty encapsulated in a manger. It was royalty wrapped in rags. It was pure holiness in the middle of the sheep manure and the straw. Now the greatest, now the creator of the universe was dependent became dependent voluntarily on a teenage peasant girl and her sleepy-eyed carpenter husband. Throughout our Christmas story, it is as if God is choosing the small, the lonely, and the outcast in order to fulfill his purposes. You know, that's the way the, that God always seems to do it because God says very clearly in the New Testament, it says, God resists the proud or he's opposed to the proud, but God gives grace to the humble. And it gives us hope. It says, therefore, humble yourselves under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up at the proper time. That's what Joseph and Mary did. Remember, Mary humbled herself before the Lord. And, he, and all she said, as we talked about last week, I am the Lord's servant. Be it done to me as you, as you have spoken. So here's what I have for you. If you have your bulletins, you can fill in these blanks about Jesus' birth and the timing of it and what God was doing behind the scenes. Jesus was born at just the right time. In the first century Roman Empire, while this Octavian, Augustus Caesar, was on the throne ruling with the Pax Romana, where he was able to bring the Roman peace, uh, an end to all the wars. When the Jews were scattered across the empire because of the, the exile and the, and the diaspora, the scattering of all the Jews, uh, where the Jews were gathering in synagogues each Saturday in every major town and city in the Roman Empire, where the Greek language was spoken in just about every city in the Roman Empire. This was the time Jesus was born at just the right time. These were the ideal conditions for the coming of Messiah and the eventual spread of the good news to the rest of the known populated world. So Jesus was born at just the right time. Secondly, Jesus was born at just the right place. It was in Bethlehem. It was the city of David. It was where Micah the prophet predicted specifically the name of the town. And it wasn't just, not just the northern Bethlehem. No, this was Bethlehem Ephathra. This was the southern town where Rachel was buried exactly where Jesus was to be born. Joseph went back to the place of his own birth, and that's where Jesus uh, came into this world. So, and also, Jesus was born of just the right woman, of Mary, a normal, lowly, peasant, but extremely godly and God-honoring teenage Jewish uh, young lady 
and, he, and Jesus was born in all those places, just the right time, just the right place of just the right woman in order to lead us all back to God. You know, it's interesting that God can take a normal, everyday, average person and do great and mighty things in them and through them if they would just commit themselves to God. You know, one of my favorite verses out of an obscure book of the Bible, about very few, I won't say very few, not that many people read 2 Chronicles as, a, as part of your regular Bible reading, right? 2 Chronicles 16.9, there's a verse in the middle of that that, it, that I memorized long ago. It says, for the eyes of the Lord move to and fro throughout the earth that he may strongly support those whose heart is completely his. Did God not fulfill that verse in Mary's life? The eyes of the Lord move to and fro, searching throughout the earth to strongly support those whose heart is completely his. Jesus is, is, proves that our God is a God of hope, that that little baby born in Bethlehem, he would grow up to change the world and to change our hearts. And how he did it, Jesus did it by including the excluded. He did it by welcoming the outcast. Jesus is willing to become one of us, to enter the world in the most humble of circumstances in order to help us find our way back to God. There's no road so bumpy that Jesus won't travel to reach us, to reach you and to reach me. At the end of Jesus' earthly life, he hung six hours on a cross to pay our sin debt. And near death, Jesus didn't just shout, I'm finished. No, Jesus shouted, it is finished. All of the separation that came from sin, all of the punishment, the wages of sin is death. Jesus says, the Son of God has died as the Lamb of God to take away the sins of the world. It is accomplished. It is finished. That's what he declared victoriously right before he gave up his spirit on the cross. Jesus can make all of us brand new creations through faith and through our trust in him. And that is good news for all the people. We can rejoice that God, our Savior, is born. And you know what else It's good news? Good news could be for you because today could be your day. Today could be the day that you put your complete trust and hope in Jesus for the first time. Today could be the day that you renew your hope in Jesus. You know, there's a great verse of hope and truth in the Bible, it says, it says, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. If that's you, if you're, if you're ready to make that decision to follow Christ, then I invite you to join me now. Let's pray together. And with all of our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, if that's you today, if you want that verse to be true in your life, if anyone is in Christ, he or she is a new creation. The old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Lord, if you want that to happen, if you want that in your life today, if you're ready, then I ask that you just pray silently along with me now. Just say these words in your own heart. Lord Jesus, today I'm putting my faith, my hope, my life my past, and my future. I'm putting it all into your hands. Jesus, make me into something new. Make me that new creation 
that's being talked about through what you did for me by dying for me on the cross. You died for me, Lord Jesus, and now I want to live my life for you. If you did pray that prayer today, then you need to tell somebody. It's not something you keep private to yourself. It's something that we share because God wants us to share the good news. It, he, if, it, the Bible says, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. So Lord, it, it, or if you prayed that prayer today, then please tell somebody. And while our heads are bowed and our eyes are still closed, if, if you could let me know that you prayed that prayer today, if you could let me know just by slipping up your hand and saying, yeah, yeah, Jim, I made that prayer today. I prayed that prayer today. Thank you. Thank you. You can put your hand down now. Thank you. Thank you, Lord, for doing your amazing work in people's lives. Lord, your grace is still saving people. Your gospel is the power of God to save everyone who believes. And it happens again and again. Thank you. Lord, please uh, make good on your promise to, be, to make each of us your new creation where the old things are passing away and the new things are becoming new. Lord, we celebrate those uh, people even here in this room who cross that line of faith today. And Lord, for the rest of us who have known you, maybe sometimes for years and years and decades, Lord, help us to all be made new in whatever ways that you want to make us new. You say that the old things have passed away and all things become new. Lord, we believe that you are still renewing our hearts day by day, word by word, as we walk this walk of faith. Lord, help us to give up any of our old ways that are not pleasing to you. Lord, help us to walk today in grace and integrity and in love and in forgiveness and in truth. Lord, we pray that you would be honored in all that we do and say. And we love you and we honor you and we thank you for making that decision to come to earth to lead us back to God. We pray all these things in your most glorious and precious name. Amen.